I can't believe uh, it's already second uh, Sunday of the new year, and with the new year, I bet all of you guys have actually came up with your New Year's resolution. Um, John and I, uh, just this past week, we were talking about our New Year's resolution, and one of my New Year's resolution is to not lose weight, which is, you know, it's, it's given, but my, my New Year's resolution for this year is to improve uh, my, my, my diet. And I was actually going through uh, some, you know, magazines, and according to Forbes magazines, these are the top five New Year's resolutions for 2024. See if your resolution is among. Number one, number one, this is according to Forbes magazine, according to all the people in America, is number one is to improve fitness, improve finances, improve your mental health, and there you go, lose weight. And mine came number fifth, improve our, our diet. Um, we are calling our current sermon series Blind Spots. And you guys know that these blind spots are not just physical. They are spiritual as well. And we all have them. We all have them as individually. We all have them as a corporate, as a church. And Pastor Calvin started last week. And we are going to go and, and, and we're going to highlight these six areas. And last week, he talked about self-reliance. Today, I'm going to be talking about conflict resolution. Uh, next week, it's going to be inward focus, then busyness, material influence, and perfectionism. And um, um, I, um, I think, where's Terry? Terry is somewhere. She was right here. I was looking forward to, oh, Terry, right there. Uh, Terry had actually met uh, one of my uh, best Caucasian friend um, uh, during, during, uh, during our, our turning point dinner at Christmas dinner uh, in December. And this guy is so funny. This guy is so unique too. And um, it, it, was, it was very weir- weird how we actually, you know, connected. But this guy who's been working, is, is a white Caucasian uh, guy, but he's been working in a Korean church. And so whenever he leaves a meeting or leaves a luncheon that, that we're part of, he says, hey, Ben, let's split like a Korean church. Did, did you get that? Let's, let's leave, but he doesn't say let's leave, let's go. He says, let's split like a Korean church. Referring to how many Korean churches uh, have experienced some sort of a church split or a conflict uh, in his tenure at a Korean church. Now, conflicts in the church had been a problem since the beginning of the first century church. Now, today we're going to find out in today's scripture, and that conflict is a problem that the church has had to deal with down through the ages of all time. And I imagine, I'm sure we have gone, as CLC, have gone through conflicts, and people often, during conflicts, they say, how come people can't just, cannot get along with each other? Now, why is it that we have such heated, heated arguments? Now, why is there so many contentions, strife, and divisions in the church that seemingly as people only see the logs in their own eyes, but cannot seem to see their own or their own blind spots? You know, according to DMV, one of the advice to avoid blind spot while driving is to ensure that your mirrors are correctly positioned, okay? You know, um, 
there, where's Dean and, and, and uh, Warren? I'm sure that's exactly what you do, right? Before you guys head off, uh, you tell the drivers, you know, position the side view mirrors, rear view mirrors, right? But you know what? These days with recent technologies, right, uh, we don't have to because you, get, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your side view mirrors, they got those little blinking things, right? It, it, they're, they're cars coming through your blind spots. And it's today's message uh, rather than going through conflict resolution as conflicts arise, uh, we're going to take a look at some blind spot indicators or components of a healthy church to weather through conflicts in order to keep the unity in the body of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, We're going to take a look at some of the things that we as a church should think about preparing ourselves so that we could actually keep the unity in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, before we begin, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Um, Father, you are so good. This morning as I was standing up and sitting down, as as I was singing those lyrics, you know, Lord, um, 2023 was an amazing year for me and my family, and and I just want to give you thanks. I want to thank you for the goodness the gentleness, the mercy and grace, and, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But sometimes we really do not give you that accolade. We don't really give you that honor and glory. And I pray, Father, Lord, in 2024, that we will be a people of God that give you that, that honor and glory. And this morning, Father God, as we receive these words how to better prepare ourselves, better prepare for our church. And when conflicts do arise, and it will, I ask in the name of Jesus that we will remember these three principles that we're about to go into. Father God, we love you, I love you, and I love this congregation as my own self too. And I thank you so very much because right now you're going to shower us with your word And I ask in the name of Jesus, would you allow our hearts to be so malleable and soft that, Lord, that the words could really, really produce, Father God, a lot of fruits. And the people outside of this this church would be able to recognize who we are and what we stand for. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you guys turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 5. Okay, Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 through 5. Therefore, or furthermore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore you, Eudia, and I implore you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help those women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life, Rejoice in the Lord again, rejoice. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, I want you to, I know I didn't put this on one particular slide, but I want you to notice, those of you guys who has a Bible, notice right off the back, the series of exhortations or refrains, uh, obviously written by someone who had a deep concern for the church at Philippi. Look at verse 1 again. The word stand fast. Verse 2, I implore. 
And that is to say, I beg you, verse 3, I urge, verse 4 and 5, I command to rejoice. Now, I don't know about you guys, but as I was preparing and as I was reading these verses, I infer or we infer that there must have been had some kind of a disagreement, some sort of an argument, some sort of a spat between these two women that are mentioned. And their argument was affecting the whole church at Philippi. And I, you guys all know the story, right? So this morning I've outlined what I'm calling the anatomy of a healthy church or a blind spot indicator to illustrate what a healthy, vigorous and a strong church looks like. So let's begin with the first principle. Look at in verse one. A, a healthy church has a big heart. A healthy church has a big heart. Look at verse one. Therefore, furthermore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord beloved. You probably have noticed Okay, and it's very rare because Paul, what he does here is that he applies all these tender phrases towards this church. As we can see, Paul, or Paul's big heart, or his tender loving heart for this church. In one sentence, he's able to express his grateful pastoral heart towards this church. He's affirming them while providing an example of what is needed in every church, which is a big heart. People with big hearts. Now, I love this. I love this because he calls everyone in that church my beloved ones, my loved ones. What he's saying is that you and I are loved by God, and because God loves you, I love you too. And Paul is saying, he's accentuating that, you know what, I love you, I love you, the church of Philippi. And I want to pause here for a moment and take that concept. Maybe it's, a, it's one of those concepts that we hear all the time in the church, right? Love one another. Jesus Christ says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What he says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, this love, a big heart, should be the hallmark of a church. You see, love should ooze out of those pews. Whenever you sit in these pews, love should ooze out. And whenever you leave the doors, Love should manifest in your life so that the world can see. Now, the Bible never says the attribute of the church ought to be the truth. Now, don't get me wrong. Truth is very, very important. But that's not what he says. Nor is it holiness. Now, don't get me wrong also that we need to pursue holiness But the one that takes precedent over all attributes is love. As Jesus commands, by all this men will know that you are my disciples, by your holiness, by your truth, no, by your love for one another. Now, 
Have you guys ever thought about why is that? Now, we're always kind of brainwashing you guys. You know what? You need to love one another, love one another. But why is that? Why is love the most important attributes? And Paul writes it to the Corinthians who are actually in conflict, right? Well, because love stands to reason. I mean, how are we ever going to preach the gospel of love of God if we don't even practice the gospel of love to other people, let alone the people in the church? You can't just exhort people to love. You have to exhibit or you have to show it. So that's why it becomes so preeminent. Now, we also have another problem because that we have a God that is invisible. And the unbelieving world loves to point that out, don't they? Every time you talk to someone about gospel, they say to you, where's God? Show it to him. Prove it to me. Let me see God. Show God to me. And I feel like sometimes when I hear those words, just just the way that weak people have of getting through difficulties in life because they want to believe or they want to grab on to something higher. And that's exactly what love does. It takes the invisible God and makes him visible. In 1 John 4.12 reiterates, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in all of us. I love that verse. People cannot see God, but if we love one another, if we manifest love one another, God is able to express, and God is able to show. So you see, if the world could possibly see a community of nurturing caring, loving, and forgiving people that really loves across the barriers of race, rank, age, sex, and etc., and etc., then they will be able to see what makes CLC, what makes that church so different. They become curious or they begin to listen and to follow. So a healthy church has to have a big heart. I'm going to be giving you guys three questions this morning. And the first question that I'm going to throw out is, do you have a big heart? Do you have a big heart? And some people, and they kind of say, you know what? No, Pastor Ben, God didn't wire me this way. And God made me logical. I think with my brain. I get that a lot. But I want to ask you, do you really have a big heart? Not just mere with your words, but through your actions. The pastoral staff are reading a book called The Letters to the Church. As I was preparing, as I was kind of reading before our our staff meeting on Tuesday, I came across something very, very, you know, potent or, or really kind of And this is what Francis Chan writes. If I were to ask you to watch the Ironman Triathlon 
Now, those of you guys who have ever done triathlons or Ironman triathlons, I can never imagine. Swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles, and run 26.2 miles. I can't even walk 6,000 steps. <laughs> now, maybe there may be, there may be, right? Janet, I was talking to you on Friday, and he says, I love running, and maybe you, people like you, would watch it with him. But if I were to ask you to compete it in it with me, that number would drop considerably. Francis Chan writes, there are millions of people in this country who call themselves Christians because they believe in the Christian life is about admiring Christ's example, not realizing it is a call to follow what he did. And Christ commands us to love, not with just mere words, That's why, if you look in verse 1, Paul says, my beloved, not once. Those of you guys who are biblical scholars, that whenever there is a word repeated, he's one to accentuate. He wants you to get a grasp. He says, not only once, my beloved, he says, twice. Therefore, furthermore, my beloved, long for brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. He wants us to have a big Not with just mere words, but with our actions. You know, sometimes one of the things that really irks me is that when people come to you with prayer requests that you know you can answer, so often we just say, oh, I'll pray for you, and you just walk away. Hey, when was the last time when somebody actually came with a sickness, can you pray for me? Oh, I'll pray for you. We all pray. But how many of you guys actually showed that I am actually praying for you by maybe giving a phone call, maybe writing a note, or maybe just showing up? I, I remember in one of the staff meetings, Pastor Eric was saying, you know what? During these course of our times, there are people who are giving us prayer requests. Wouldn't it be nice if we just go Everybody go. Like, if someone is really in need of something, everybody just go. Like, attack that person with our love. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I thought about that. That would be so incredible. That's incredible love that God is saying to us this morning. So the first principle of a healthy church is a big heart. Not with just mere words but with their actions. And secondly, a big heart needs to be balanced out by a firm stance. We're still in verse one. It says, therefore, my beloved and for long for brethren, my joy and crown. So I want you to take a look at this word, stand fast. Stand fast in the Lord, my beloved. Now, he's asking them to take a firm stance in the context of the issue that is dividing that church and by these two women. Euodia and Sinteki. Now, what he is actually asking the church to do is to stay and take a stance in healing the division that has gotten out of hands. Now, 
what this really tells me is that this church or a church isn't just a place. It's just not a nice place to get a pat on our backs, to feel good about ourselves and feel affirmed and feel loved. Now, believe me, that is important too. But what Paul is saying that a church should be a place filled with people who have a deep, deep spiritual convictions that keeps them rooted and grounded in a world that is hostile to them. That's why the word stand fast, the Greek word stetko, is a command. It means to stand in one place, immovable, be stationary, persevere. It is actually a military word for a soldier standing in battle and not retreating. And we all know that this happens to be the theme throughout the whole entire New Testament, the idea of spiritual stability or perseverance. And it's mentioned 14 times in the New Testament that we are told to stand firm, fast, not wavering, But honestly speaking, some Christians, there are tendencies to make them not wanting to hold grounds. Retreat, to hide, go away. Or some people even stop following Christ totally by leaving the church during a conflict. Uh, those of you guys who have read the book of Acts, there's an interesting story. In Acts chapter 11, a, a new church, the church of Antioch, is formed. And, and the Jewish council is saying, who should we go and send uh, to this new church for words of encouragement? And they all thought that Barnabas was the you know, man of encourager. We're going to send him over there thinking that, you know what, Barnabas is going to say, you know what, you need to love one another. You need to encourage one another. You need to really, really unify the church. But that's not what he says. If you look in verse 23 of Acts chapter 11, this is what it says. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with all that, the purpose of the heart, that, that they should continue with the Lord. Why would he say this to a budding first century church who just started in Antioch? Why? Because he knew that the oppositions that they had faced, they're going to stop continuing following the Lord. Barnabas, who was a man of encourager, he didn't encourage, he said, I want you to stand firm, I want you to hold fast. Because pretty soon, you guys are going to face oppositions and difficulties and you would probably want to drop off the face of the planet or stop following Christ. And he was true. We all know that. So rather than giving them kind of a lovey-dovey kind of an encouragement, Barnabas says, I want you to hold fast. Now, if that wasn't enough, in 1 Corinthians 15 Verse 10, Paul writes, 
My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abiding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So if you want to have any strength in the church, you need to have a big heart, but you need to have a firm stance, a spiritual stability. Because spiritual instability leads to doubt, discouragements, and disappointments. Because unstable people are crushed by trials, overwhelmed by circumstances, overtaken by temptations. That's why James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all ways. Yes, you need to have a very, very big heart, but you also need to have a firm stance that says, I'm going to follow the church or I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what happens in the church. The question that I'm going to throw out, what would take for you to stop following Jesus. Now, this is a hard one. What would it take for you to stop following Jesus? Is there any kind of events that you could think of, some catastrophic events that if God crosses that line, or maybe he takes a very, very beloved loved ones away from you, then you just simply go, I quit. I mean, what would it take for you to stop following Jesus? And if you look at the course of church history, I'm sure some of you guys who've been in our church for a long time, you all know that people have left the church. Let alone they have left just Jesus completely. Or, Are you like that song that I love to sing when I was little? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to stand fast. I'm not going to look at people. I'm just going to look at Jesus. Jesus is my life. So with a big heart and a firm stance, here's the third one. The third component of a healthy church, and that is a warm embrace. A warm embrace is the ability to take two parties that are in disagreement and to embrace both of them and to help them to resolve the conflicts. I want you to take a look in verse 2. I import Judea, I import Syntyche to be of the same mind in Jesus Christ or in the Lord. Okay, let me kind of dissect this verse. First of all, we don't know anything about these two ladies, Judea and Syntyche. Okay, uh, but I don't know about you, but whenever I read Philippians chapter 4, how would you like it that, you know what, in church history, 
You are not known for building, you know, going around and building churches or, you know, you're known as the person who encouraged, you're known as the person who actually sacrificed for the church, but you know what? You're known as person who actually divided the church. You know, whenever I read Philippians chapter 4, these two women, we don't know anything about these women's, nor they are not mentioned in any other verses in the New Testaments, only here. We just know what happened to this and what happened because of that. Now, I believe, okay, I must believe that it really didn't start out this way, right? In the beginning, they came to church and they started fighting. No, in the beginning, I imagine, you know what, they must love each other, right? They got involved in the church, they fellowshiped together, they brought probably like amazing fish or bread dishes to their home group meetings, and they were so lovey-lovey and dovey-dovey, and oh, I love you, dear, I love you, Kentucky, and all of a sudden something just, something happened to them. Now, we don't know exactly what had happened to them. And the disagreement got to so advanced that it really polarized the church that the two groups have formed around these two women. And you know what? It always is. Whenever there's a church conflict, it always polarizes to two sides. Now, when Paul hears about this, he says, okay, I had it enough. So he writes the solution in Philippians chapter 4. Now, before I tell you the solution, I want to kind of reiterate something that we do know about these two women. That they were prominent in the church at Philippi. Now, they weren't just kind of, you know, those people who just kind of were outsiders. They were looking in. They were actually prominent. They weren't just ordinary women. They were prominent in the church. Now, how do I know? Because if in verse 3, Paul says, they labor with me in the gospel. Now, that is very, very significant. These women, they probably had many, many hours of Bible studies. They were trained in the church. They were prominent in the church. They weren't just people, you know what, they were looking in from the outside but they were really, really leaders of the church. Now, this is not proven, but theologians speculate that these two women were probably the first two women who were at the first prayer meeting at Philippi. Now, do you guys remember how Church of Philippi got started? And by this woman, Lydia, right? The whole idea of Acts chapter 16. Now, if you don't know, I'll refresh your mind. So Paul goes to Philippi, There was no Jewish synagogues. In order to start a Jewish synagogue, he needed 10 men, but he couldn't find any 10 men. There weren't any. He looked, he looked, looked. So it says on the Sabbath day, they went out, he went out to the city on the riverside where prayer was customary made, and he started to speak to these women, and there he sees these praying women, Jewish women, at the riverside, That was the first meeting Paul attended. And theologians speculate that these women were with Lydia, Euodia, and Syntyche. They were part of that first church. In Acts chapter 16, verse 13, and the Sabbath day, we went out in the city, in the riverside, there were prayers of customary made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had met there. You know, I I love the idea that a, a church was birthed from bunch of praying women. Now, we, we often talk about finding founding fathers, but it seems during this time and this place and this church of Philippi that it was founded by 
these women who are praying for the church. On Friday night, there were about 40 of us got together and we, we prayed and worshiped. And last night I got home and I showered and I was in bed and I was asking my wife and we we're talking. My wife goes, honey, I really like that Friday worship. And I said, why did you like it? Is it because I was singing loud or <laughs> there were people that there were more than we expected? What was something that you really liked? And she goes, honey, I really liked Claire, I know Claire is beautiful and, and, you know, what do you like? As we're singing, holy, holy, holy. She was singing as if she was giving God that honor of singing, holy, holy, holy. And my wife said, I've never seen Claire so beautiful. E.M. Bounds said, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather a privilege to be enjoyed because prayer and worship is a rare delight that is always revealing something new and beautiful about who God is. I love that. When we worship and when we pray, God is revealing to us who he is. And we're singing that. And so, Euodia and Sinteki, they were singing and worshiping God, but now they're fighting each other. And so Paul writes the solutions. And the solution is actually in verse 2. Euodia and Sinteki, I implore you to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, Paul doesn't just kind of give a spiritual phrase to sound so good, but this is exactly, this is actually the solution to all the conflicts in the church and the problems that we will ever face in the church. It's the same command that he says in verse 1. Notice he says, stand fast in the Lord in verse 1. And verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord. The solution is always in the Lord. Remain in the Lord. Because when there is a conflict, I'll be honest with you, we forget that we are in the Lord. We sometimes forget that we are Christians. When was the last time you had a heated argument with your spouse? Now, I'm not talking about your wife coming to you and says, honey, I'm, you know, I'm kind of upset that, you know, what, what you said to me really, really hurt. I, I'm not talking about that kind of an argument. I'm talking about, you know, what, you're throwing things, you know, you're saying things that you shouldn't have said. I'm talking about the time you had a heated argument with one another where you didn't agree, your wife didn't agree, you had two separate viewpoints and you are going at it. And we've all been there. And in the midst, we forget that we are in the Lord. We do. 
And, and so what Paul does here is, I think it's brilliant. I think he's clever. He actually takes a social issue and he makes it spiritual. Settle the disagreement in the Lord. In other words, focus upon God's glory. Focus upon God's amazement. Focus upon God's mercy. And aim at his glory and focus what he wants you to do. Remember that. Because this is all tied to the New Testament concept of unity, not uniformity. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know what, you cannot have your own opinions, your own ideas, okay, guys? But pursue unity in the church. Unity among Christians is what proves the veracity of the Christian message. Because if there is no unity, it doesn't really matter what we say to the world. They're not going to listen. That's why, once again, having a big heart is so important. Not with just mere words, but with our actions. I heard this beautiful sermon illustration some 30 years ago from my mentor, Chuck Swindoll, when I was serving at EV Free. A newspaper reporter asked what they thought of other people in the LA Philharmonic Orchestra. Now, I am musically deaf, that's why I sing so loud, okay? I am not musically inclined. Now, I have no idea what these groups are, but I, I, I've heard. Anyways, so, and he discovered, the newspaper reporter discovered that the percussionists, I don't even know what instrument they play, were insensitive. Now, those of you guys who play in the uh, uh, percussion, they are, you are insensitive, unintelligent. I, I didn't say this, okay, guys? Uh, hard of hearing, yet fun-loving. Okay. The string players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. And if you play that, oh, that's so true. And and the orchestra members overwhelmingly chose the word loud, L-O-U-D, as the primary adjective described the brass players. If you or your kids play the brass, I think they're... The woodwind player seems to be held in the highest esteem Described as quiet, meticulous, but very egotistical. Now, having heard all their remarks, he wondered, how on earth can these people with such different perceptions on one another and different personalities be able to make a beautiful music together? And when the curtains went up, the newspaper reporter was able to find out the answer to his questions. They all subjugated or subordinated their feelings and their biases to the leadership of the conductor. Once they got into that pit, they spread their musics. They were ready to play. They didn't think about their personality differences, what other opinions there were, were other political differences, or other stances. They were just there to make beautiful music together. And they did that by subordinating all of that to what the conductor wanted them to do. They just simply followed.
Euodia and Syntyche, because you are in the Lord, follow his lead, because he is the conductor. That's the, that's the solution of all church conflicts. Listen. So with a big heart, and not a wavering stance, firm stance, I want you to embrace one another in the Lord. I want to leave you with the third, not a question, but I think it's a remark. It's my 36 years of knowledge in ministry. And I want you to leave with this. If you don't have a habit of putting Jesus first, you won't be able to put that or you won't be able to put him when there is a conflict. Very simple. If you don't put every day Jesus first, you're certainly not going to put Jesus first when there are conflicts in your life, in the church, in whatsoever. And how do we do that? That means being the Lord every day. Being the Lord as you're driving. Being the Lord. John sometimes says, I wish God would come appear in my dreams and I would dream about God. Be in the Lord. I believe that this six um, stances that we're highlighting for the next six weeks, and I was told that... um, it was written because during a conflict of our church. And this was the resolution that the staff and the leadership came up with. I think it's beautiful. But sometimes I feel it's too late. We try to solve things when a conflict arises. And so today, I think Paul is saying to us, I want you to look at your indicators, your blind spot indicators. Do you have a big heart? If not, I want you to cultivate that. Are you one of those people wavering? Or are you a person, no matter what, I'm going to follow Jesus. And during a conflict, do you have a warm embrace so that we could actually bring the people together. So with that, I think, you know what, we actually, when I first went over this maybe a couple of years ago, I thought it was kind of corny, but you know what, as I kind of remind myself, if we say this again and again and again, I, I think, you know what, it's so good for us to realize that this is need, or this needs to be part of my life. So we're going to announce it. So we're going to announce it, okay? We're going we're to read it together, okay, guys? We're going to read it together. Okay, one, two, three. Avoiding conflict resolution resulting in damaged relationships. Guys, this divides the church so quickly. You know what? 
I, I know how hard it is to build up the church, but when a conflict arises, oh my gosh, like it just kind of dissipates so quickly. We announce. We're going to affirm, okay? We're going to affirm, okay? One, two, three, that we value healthy relationship enough to pursue biblical conflict resolutions. Well, there you have it. We were just told to have a big heart, stand firm, embrace one another. And lastly, we will, one, two, three, that God wants us to make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Sometimes he doesn't, though, right? I wish. Sometimes we don't. I wish we could live peacefully for the rest of our lives. Because we are so different, we're all made unique and different. We all have our personal preferences. I just want to remind you again, we are in the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so very much that we are all in the Lord together. I love the fact that, Lord, that there are people in the hospitality, there are people who are serving in prayer ministry, they're in the CM, they're youth, with all unique personalities, just like the people in the orchestra. But I love the fact that we're all making beautiful music in the Lord. Father, God, help us to always be in the Lord, be reminded, guarding our hearts, to be in God's word, praying. And Father, we thank you so very much once again for an amazing Friday night where you showed up, you touched the lives of people, and I just ask, Lord, that may we be a people always cultivating that heart culture. Father, as we spend this week in our work, in our playgrounds, wherever we are, Father God, as we're maybe you know, taking care of our children. Help us, Father God, that we are always in you. Father, we love you. I love the church. I love this church. And Father God, because you first loved us, I want to be able to love my neighbors, my world, and be able to see what God is doing in our lives through you. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.